Good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining uh, right now uh, from an off-site campus or another venue here at Long Point or online, online campus. I know I was, I've been on the online campus the last couple of weeks. Uh, Debbie and I took about a week in Maine. I uh, just got back uh, uh, late last week, actually, and uh, oh, it was great. We were on a little, so we had a little cottage, a little tiny cottage, about 800 square foot, and uh, water and lobster, and about the only difference between Charleston and where we're at in Maine is 20 degrees and no humidity, but who's, you know, who's counting that stuff? But it's good to be here. We got plenty of humidity today. How many of you would agree with that? Glad, glad you're here. Glad you made it through, um, made it through the rain. Now, uh, Debbie and I this week celebrated our 30, 38th wedding anniversary. We've been married 38 years. And uh, so I did something I should not have done. Guys, take note. Uh, on wedding anniversary night, I asked her, I said, uh, how many good years out of 38? And she said, about 36. And so it's not bad. I didn't want to ask her which two were not good or whether they were spaced out or whatever it happened to be. But hey, we're here. That's good. Um, for those of you who may be new to the church, um, we have four kids and uh, they all live right here. All of them serve somewhere seacoast in some, some way, uh, either vocationally or serving and working uh, somewhere else. And, uh, but how many of you are grandparents? Any grandparents here? If you're a grandparent, how many of you would agree with me that if you would have known it was this good, you would have skipped parenting and gone right to grandparenting? How many of you? You're there. Okay. And uh, so we have 13 grandkids. Oldest one just turned seven. Got one more coming next week, I think, or the week after, something like that. And I wanted to show you a picture. We show pictures every once in a while, but let me just show you a picture of our crew. This is, this is in our house. Christmas this year, Grandma made them all hats. And they all look so cute, don't they? So sweet, not so much. Um, can you see, look at the one on the right, second row, Sutherland. Uh, brown eyes, looks so sweet. She's trying to escape, actually, around the corner there. And all chaos broke. In fact, if you want to know what our life is like, uh, just go to your local daycare, ask them if you can borrow a class for the afternoon. And that's kind of ha- how it is. Now, I tell you what we can do is we can do a lot of things. Uh, well, have you ever wished that you, had the, that you had the energy and the innocence and awe of a child? Anybody here ever, you know, wish that? I'm telling you what, these guys have it in, in, in spades. We, we can do all kinds of things. We, um, we can bust up a restaurant now, I'm telling you that. Uh, sometimes we'll go on a weekend after a Saturday night or Sunday late service and um, I, usually it's not all of us, sometimes it is, but I will go in and I will kind of pastor the restaurant, kind of like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, uh, uh, listen, if this is date night for you, we provide the entertainment, it's free, you know, that, that type thing, because it's, it's chaos. So they can bust up a restaurant. Another thing they can do is they can dance. I'm telling you, what, that crew can dance. Well, we've got a first Wednesday service coming up this week, and hey, if you've never try the first Wednesday, you ought to come. It's a whole new experience, and it's best service we do of the month. And uh, so it's, it's mostly worship. And we'll bring the little ones, some of the little ones in for the end of worship. We stand right over here. Man, they're just busting and move. They're dancing. They don't care what you think. They really don't. We've got this, uh, you say, well, what is this? Uh, well, thinking about Christmas. And uh, this is a, like a table ornament that we've had in our family for a number of years. And the little ones love it because it, here's what it does. You press this button. Can you hear that? He's, Santa Claus here is dancing. 
These guys start dancing a little bit, all this kind of stuff. And so what happens is, is the kids will see this, and they'll go up and they'll press this, and they'll just, man, they're busting out, they're dancing, which is cute uh, for a season, for a little bit, but it's just nonstop, you know, like this, I asked Debbie, I say, don't bring this out till like the day before Christmas, because it drives me crazy, because these kids will dance. They're just liable to bust out any restaurant. Boom, there they go. Their favorite song comes on. They're dancing. Here's a question. When do we lose that? When do we lose that innocence, that awe, that spontaneous bust out in dance? When, when, when do we start thinking about what would somebody else think? Or I'm too cool for that. Or I better not do that. When does that happen? When does that happen? So, um, a few years ago, a friend of mine who's a professional musician, he has a house in Colorado and he has a house in Nashville, and he invited me out in the summer, Colorado, July the 4th actually, for a little event that he does, and um, afterwards, he invited me up to his mountain home for um, a campfire, and he lives uh, beautiful, beautiful, he overlooks the Yampa Valley, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And uh, I've been to a lot of campfires. I grew up in Colorado. You know, you always, somebody brings a guitar, you have marshmallows, you sing kumbaya, you know, something like that. I don't know. And uh, so I saw several guitars, and he said, did you bring your guitar? And I said, no. And he said, well, well we're going to have some of my friends who've written songs just kind of sing their song. And uh, then as they do, um, we're going to have them tell the story of the song that they wrote. Why, why did they write the song that they wrote? And you've written some songs, and <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, whatever. And so, and so the first one was this girl named Tia. And, you know, you got a campfire, you know, it's just normal people. I have no idea who she was. And uh, she said, uh, yeah, I wrote this song. And she begins to set it up. And she says, um, I, I was living in Florida, and I'd just gotten a divorce. And it was a devastating, devastating time in my life. And she said, uh, I'm sitting on the Gulf Coast just looking at the ocean and I just feel like, wow, I'm just so insignificant and is there anything left for me? And she said, one of my friends called me who lived in Colorado and said, why don't you come out to, why don't you come out to the mountains and stay with me for a while? And uh, so she packed all of her stuff into a vehicle, a wagon back then, would be a minivan now. And um, she, she drove cross country to Colorado. Now, if you've ever driven to Colorado, you know, you read all the or see all the pictures about Colorado and how beautiful it is. Well, uh, until you get to Denver, it's kind of like Kansas. Now, if you're from Kansas, God bless you. But it's kind of flat, you know, and, and no trees or anything like that. And that uh, Eastern Colorado is that way. And then you get to Denver. As you get closer to Denver, you see the mountains. And the closer you get, the bigger they are, and they're majestic. And she was going to have to drive through those mountains by herself. It was wintertime, I think. And, and, uh, and, and so she, she did, and she got to where she was going. And she said, I sat down and I wrote this song. And this is the song that she sang at the campfire that night.
had to wait for me to come back to get some good country music. Okay. <laughs> Have you heard that song? Yeah. You heard that song? So, so I, hear, I, I hear her singing this song, and I, I go, oh my goodness. That song was the song of the year in country music. It was the song of the year in pop music. It was the biggest song of the decade. 
And here's the lady that wrote it sitting right there with a the guitar singing, I hope you'll, da-. I'm crying. Yeah, I really was. I'm thinking about, you know how songs take you back to a place and took me back to a place and I thought I've got to go talk to her. Now that's a problem because I can talk okay in front of a lot of people, but one-on-one, sometimes I say really stupid things. In fact, that's why, that's why they don't let me go to the hospital very often to visit people because I'll say things like, well, you don't look good, you know. Uh, how much time are they giving you there? You know, that kind of thing. And so, and so I walk over to her, and I just said the dumbest thing. I said, that's a really nice song. It really is. I wish I'd have written that myself, you know, that kind of, kind of, kind of thing. And, but it impacted me. I hope you'll dance. I hope you never lose this sense of awe. And wonder. I remember, I remember another dance. Uh, it was a Luke, Luke 14 dance that we do here at Long Point. And uh, if you've never been, you ought to come and serve sometime. It's, uh, it's on Valentine's, and, and we invite all the special needs families in the community to come, and, and special needs kids and special needs adults. And we clear the area. We have this big banquet, and then, and then we, they, they dance right here. It's It's awesome. And uh, we dance with them. And I'm standing there watching a, a mom uh, with her special needs daughter out here, and, and she's Down syndrome. And she's dancing, and she is, there's just such a sense of joy about her. So, so I, I began to talk to them. Her mom and I are both crying at this point. Seems like all I do is cry. And, and uh, she said, you know, one of my friends asked me one time if I could, would I give her a normal pill? And she said, you know, I don't think so. She said, now my 16-year-old, I'd give a normal pill tomorrow. But, but there's such a quality of innocence and awe about her that I, I don't know that I'd want her to struggle with the stuff that I struggle with. And I thought about that and I thought about, you know, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth and he created a place there for Adam and Eve. And it was all about innocence and awe. I mean, they were... They were awed by their surroundings and they were innocent. They were naked and they weren't ashamed and then sin came and innocence was lost. And then Jesus comes and in the gospel, you've got innocence restored. The ability to restore innocence and awe. In fact, uh, one day Jesus was teaching and there were a bunch of kids there and kids are a problem. I gotta tell you, they don't stay quiet. They shuffle all around. They do all of this stuff. The disciples are going, shh, shh, shh. Hey, you guys, you need to go away. And Jesus sees what's going on, and he says, no, wait, wait, bring them here, bring them here, bring them here. He says, guys, this is what the kingdom of heaven is about. Unless you become as one of these, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Innocence. And all, you got to learn to dance. If you're going to be a Christ follower, you got to learn to dance. I talked to a lot of church planters. I'm going to do that this week in China. You gotta learn to dance. You gotta, you gotta figure out this innocence and awe. As I was looking in the scriptures at dancing, a world-class dancer was David. In fact, he'd be on Dancing with the Stars if he was here, here today. That's where he would be. The story, just a little bit, uh, David becomes king, and the first thing that he does is he is he brings back the Ark of the Covenant. I know a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is this box, basically, where they store uh, the Ten Commandments, the tablets that Moses 
brought down from the, the mountain. But it's more than that because it's a, it, the, the presence and power of God is in the box. And so God gave specific instructions on how you build it, how you transport it. What they would do is they would carry it around uh, and uh, when they'd stop for a while and live there for a little while, they'd put a tent up and the presence of God would be there. The presence of God would be there. It was overwhelming. And uh, uh, then when they got into the promised land, they started to go, to go to battle with some of the people that were there. And sometimes the armies would be overwhelming. And they would bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, with them into battle. And they would, they would, they would win. And, and so uh, at one point in their history, they really weren't following God like they should. And uh, one of their enemies, the Philistines, um, captured the Ark of the Covenant in a battle. The Philistines thought, well, this is cool. They'd heard of it. They'd heard of how that anywhere the ark was, they were blessed. And so let's take that back to our cities and we'll be blessed. And it didn't quite work out that way. In fact, they put it in a city and before long, everybody in the city had hemorrhoids. How many of you know that'll get your attention? Real quick, everybody, everybody had hemorrhoids. And so somebody goes, well, what's up with this? You know, I mean, it's a, who's got the preparation age? You know, and they didn't have that yet. And so finally the leaders figured out it must be the ark. And so they loaded the ark up and shipped it back to a town in Israel, actually a guy's farm and stayed there 20 years. People kind of forgot about it. But the, the guy that, uh, that, where the ark was, he was blessed, 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 blessed. And so David becomes king and he decides to bring the ark of the covenant back. Now, if you read the story, his first try at it isn't really good. But his second try, he, he does it right. He does it God's way. And he's coming back with the ark. In fact, there's a scripture on your outline sheet. And it's, I think it's a little later than uh, where we are right now in the message. I moved it up uh, for this service. But it says uh, in 2 Samuel 6 and verse 14. You find that? It's on the screen. It says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. I want you to think about that. Let's get a vision of that. He's a king. It's just kind of one of his first acts as a king. He takes off his kingly garments. Now, some people think that he danced naked. He didn't. His wife thought he did. She, she's a case. But he, uh, he puts on priestly garments, and he dances with all of his might. No inhibitions. He's just going for it, you know. I mean, Michael Jackson, eat your heart out. David is just going for it, you know. It says, with all of his might, all the people, of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. And uh, in his dance, actually in his life, there's a sense of awe and a sense of innocence. He's not a perfect man at all. That's good for me. I, I'm not perfect. Anybody relate to that? No? I'm a lot better than most of you, okay? We, we know that. No, we don't. But David's this flawed guy who has a sense of awe, and he enjoys life. So, so I want to look at, just for a few minutes, just some things kind of we can learn from David on how to maintain this sense of innocence and awe. Because, because as you grow, as you get involved in life, that just, it just goes away, and life gets complicated, and it's not so innocent anymore, and God has a better life for you. So how do you maintain it? Well, the first thing you do is be careful with applause. Be careful with applause. A few weeks ago, Joshua 
my son was preaching. He did an experiment. I want to repeat the experiment. Some of you weren't here. Some of you were. But what we're going to do, and go with me on this if you would, because I want to prove a point. Um, uh, I, I'm going to count to three, and then I, I want you to applause. I want you to whistle like the Broncos just entered the room and won the Super Bowl, you know, or whatever it is. I, I want, let's do a little experiment here, okay? Just go for it with all you can, all right? One, two, three. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Okay, let's go. Come on. Campuses, let's go. All right. All right. Not too long. I don't have very long to preach. Okay. So, so what, if, what, if, what if people did that every time you did something good? It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if at the end of every message, that'd be great. Oh, Greg, wow. Oh, we're, oh, man. Or how about if you, you know, you cooked a great meal and the whole family just stood up and just, oh, oh, you know. Yesterday, uh, I fixed something, and I'm not good at, with my hands, fixing things. And, and, um, and it wasn't a big thing. It, it was a little thing. Debbie said, there's this little hook that you got to hang clothes on, and it's broken. Could you fix that? I said, sure. So I went to Lowe's, spent 50 bucks, and... Um, <laughs> You know how that goes. You got to have a new tool for that, right? And uh, and and I and I fixed it. And her uh, her love language is acts of service. So that's a really cool thing. It was, it was like, you know, it was awesome. And so rather than her being down, you know, somewhere in another part of the house, she's right there by me. You know, it's like, you know, she wasn't clapping, but it felt like it was applause. It felt great. So I fixed two or three other things while I was at it. <laughs> What if, what if every time you made a sale, what if every time you did whatever you're going to, people just applauded? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I think it would be great. I do. I do. But there's a danger in applause. In fact, David's uh, son, uh, Solomon, wrote in Proverbs 27, 21, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. They're tested but when, when people applaud, which they should, it's a test. I remember the first time I felt it as a preacher. It wasn't really a sermon. I've told, I've told this before. Some of you have heard it. But when I was a, I was a kid, I had a band. And, and uh, after we graduated from high school, we played six weeks in Chicago, four nights a week. And, and uh, so about four or five weeks into it, we played at a, at a church gig. It was, a, um, it was a, a youth event. There were maybe 800 thousand kids there and, and uh, what's funny about that okay anyway so anyway we, we, we played and, and uh, so at the end of the event they said uh, they said uh, or my, my guys said normally we just play and we just walk off to the applause of the crowd you know just taking it in and loving it and uh, they said somebody needs to talk at the end of this thing because it's a church event I said okay who needs to talk? Well, you do. Why me? Because your dad's a preacher. <laughs> that makes sense. And so, and so I, uh, and I was in no place to probably be preaching at that point. And, and so, but at the end, I, I got up and I just said a few things and it was like, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, these kids are just quiet as can be and uh, wow, and several of them came and received Jesus that week at this concert. And so I, I went and I called my girlfriend 
now I've been married to 38 years. And I said, this was incredible. God used me. You? He used you? <laughs> no, that's not what she said. <laughs> she said, I kind of thought he would. But I was in awe. It was just an incredible, the, the, the applause and that God had used me. Over time, you perfect your craft. You get better, you know, you practice. Book Outliers says that if you practice something for 10,000 hours, then you can be the best in the world. You read books, you get more swings at the plate. You hear more and more applause from the crowd. Uh, for me, it's like, good message, pastor. You know, that spoke right to where we're at. For you, it might be, wow, when you sing, you know, with Martin, wow, when you sing, it's incredible. Or the, the way you raise your kids, I wish we could do. Or, you know, how you handle a sale or whatever it happens to be. How you handle a classroom as you teach. And, and, and people applaud and, 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 and we start to believe them and we let take the applause for ourselves, and we lose the amazement that God would use us. We start feeling entitled. We feel like if people don't applause that they, they need to or, or maybe we don't feel like we're paid or we get the due respect that we need for what we do. And, and we ought to give that freely, but we, there, there comes a sense of entitlement. And when entitlement comes in, gratitude leaves. And the sense of innocence and awe is gone, see? And then we get, begin to get upset when other people get applause. Some people, somebody that does what you're doing or somebody new at, at what you're doing and, and people are going, wow, that's really good. And you're over here and you're going, well, I do just as well. And we have this, this mentality that there's not enough applause to go around. And we, we get resentful. And, and David, uh, the king of Israel, he saw that in his predecessor, Saul. In fact, there's a story, and I don't think this is on your outline sheet, but in, uh, right after David uh, had the battle with Goliath and he killed Goliath, it's recorded in um, 1 Samuel 18. I'm, I'll read it to you. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, Goliath, the ladies, the women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. King Saul's the, he's the celebrity, he's the hero, nobody knows who David is, he thinks, okay. And they sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. Now how many, how many of you think that was not on Saul's uh, iPod? Saul has killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousands, ladies are dancing, it's so cool, and Saul gets mad. He's angry, what's this? They credited David with ten thousands and me with only a thousand. Next they'll be making him their king. And so from that time on, uh, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And if you read their stories from that time on, Saul's career was in the toilet. He was done, didn't have to be but he was jealous. So, so how, do you, how do you make sure that applause doesn't keep you from dancing? Let me give you a couple of ideas. Number one, receive applause humbly. When, when applause comes in, it ought to. I'm not, I'm not telling you, you know, quit applauding people, you'll be their downfall. No, 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 no. Always applause, okay? Everybody needs encouragement, but when you receive it, let it be an opportunity 
to send it in your own mind to where it came from. Let it remind you that God is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. He doesn't have to use you. There was a time when you felt, if anybody even noticed anything, that it was an amazing thing. Go back to those days, okay? The second thing you do is be the first to applaud others. Be the first to applaud others. There will always be a new kid in town. How do you know that? If you're the new kid right now and you're getting all the applause, there'll be another one someday. It's the cycle of life. And if you celebrate the new kid in town, there will always be room for you. But if you don't, one of you will have to go and it will probably be you. That will help you in your work, okay? If you resist, resist, resist the new kid, you're resentful of of all of that, then one of you is going to go and it's probably going to be you. But if you learn to applaud, there will always be room for you, okay? So applause drains innocence and awe. Be careful with it. Second thing uh, to maintain innocence and awe is take time to worship. Take time to worship. The first thing, very first thing David did when he became king was return the ark. Why? Because he wants the presence and power of Jesus, the presence and power of God in his life and in his rule and in his, you know, what God's called him to do. He knows that if I don't have the presence and power of God, then I'm toast. And so he makes worship a priority. And he dances with all of his might. And uh, he enjoys life. If you want to dance and enjoy life, got to make worship a priority. Let me give you some ideas of how to do that. First thing you do is give God the first part of every day. Just give God the first part of every day. Just, you need the presence and power just like David did. Give him the first part of every day. You know, I, I used to have, I, I still struggle. I mean, I do. But I used to have a real problem with quiet times. Anybody have a problem with quiet time being consistent? Quiet time sounded like time out to me. <laughs> Go over there, sit down, God wants to whoop you. You know, that's kind of what it felt like. You've know, you got to do this, 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 and this, and all that. And um, I'm learning to, to see it as just time to relax in the Father's love. I've got a Father God that loves me. He wants me to stay innocent, just have, have a sense of awe about it, and he loves me. He's for me. In fact, I wake up every morning with that thought. Sometimes it's natural. Sometimes I have all kind of other thoughts, and I've got to stop and go, no, 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 here's the truth. Let's recalibrate. I have a father. If God is for me, who can be against me? And God is for me. And so find a quiet place. I have a worship chair that I go to. That's my, that's my place with God. Find inspiration from God's word. I use a little, I, I use a reading program from, uh, uh, from version. And mine's real simple this year. I got to keep it simple. Very, very few scriptures, little teaching. I'm using a Rick Warren thing right now but I get inspiration from God's word. And then I find peace in God's presence. Just meditate. In fact, I wrote a blog post about it. Probably the most important blog post I've ever written. It's at gregsratt.org. It's called 10 Minutes to a Better Day. On how I do I just meditate. Meditate on the Lord. Meditate on his peace. Meditate on his presence. Meditate on an aspect of who he is. Just empty my mind of everything. Just meditate on God. See, Jesus said this, are you worn out, tired, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, he says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who wouldn't want that kind of life? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.23. It says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Let the Holy Spirit give God the first part of every day. And then you give God the first part of every week. And that's what you've done today. You came through the rain. You said, I'm going to give God the first part of every week. I'm, I'm going to applaud you. <laughs> that's incredible. We need that. I need that. I, I need you guys. We need to be together. This is not a, Christianity isn't an individual sport. It's not like golf. It's a team sport. When I go on vacation, I find a church. I usually find two or three. Go two or, yeah, because I need a lot of help. And so I'll go, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was in a little small church up in Brunswick, Maine. Because I want to be, I want to give God the first day of the week, regardless of, you say, well, I'm a busy guy. Yeah, David was real busy. But he took time to write the Psalms and to worship God because he knew he needed the presence and power of Jesus in his life. And third, give God the first part of every paycheck. Uh, the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You, you want to you be innocent? And all, you you want to you know, just kind of have this, this innocence and awe before the Lord? Give him your paycheck. He says, honor me with the first tenth of your income. And that's worship. That's worship. Okay? So how does worship help you dance? It gets your eyes off yourself and it puts life into perspective. The issue isn't how big is your problem. The issue becomes how big is my God? So if you want to maintain innocence and awe, be careful with the applause. Take time to worship. Let me give you one more real quick. Learn to confess your sin. Learn to confess your sin. See, there was a season in David's life when he lost the ability to dance. He lost his awe and innocence. He sinned. I mean, big time. He committed adultery with a woman and had her husband killed. How do you think that's pretty big sin? Okay. And, uh, and here it was what he wrote at the time. Psalms 32 and verse 1 talks about the process that he went through. It says, oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven. That's his testimony. So I, I got to tell you something. There's life on the other side of this. There is joy for when rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and I was miserable. He's hiding it. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Man, if you'd have seen David dancing, then it wouldn't have been pretty. It's hard to dance when you're groaning and not sleeping. Would you agree with that? It's hard to be king. He said, that was a tough, tough season. But he said, finally, I confessed all my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide them. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And here's what happened. And you forgave me, and all of my guilt is gone. All of my guilt is gone. Wow. Wow. See, David, David is saying that the strongest sin is hidden sin. You need to get it out. That's why it's important that we learn um, the discipline of confession. That's why in every campus we have crosses in the auditorium. Here at the Long Point campus, we've got them in the kids' area. Crosses. Because those crosses remind us that Jesus came and he died for our sin. 
And the Bible says if we will confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We don't even have to ask him to forgive us. That's not even an issue. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You have to confess. And when you confess and when you really get it, um, there is a sense of forgiveness that clears guilt. God wants us to live guilt-free because you can't dance when you're full of guilt. You say, well, what if my confession could cost me my job? What if a confession of sin could cost me my marriage or my family? You've got a couple of options. Number one, you can just fake it and live a lie. Hope never to be found out, but you'll also never dance again. There will never be a sense of innocence and awe again. And chances are you're going to face the music someday. And the longer it goes, the messier it gets. So that's one option. The other option is to do what David did and confess it and stop hiding. You can't control the consequences, but you can control your response. And God can restore what's been destroyed. A couple of years ago, I got a phone call. I was on my way to the airport, actually. I was going to Washington, D.C. for a meeting with the Ark. And, um, and I got a call, and it was from the chairman of a board in a very large church, pastored by a close friend of mine. And he said, we got a problem. I said, what's that? And he said, we've had a moral failure. I went, wow. And so I, I got to the airport, changed my flight to go to the city where uh, they were at. And uh, a couple hours later, I landed and uh, walked in uh, to a meeting with my friend and his wife as he confessed what he had done. And then I went to the staff of the church and I revealed to them what had happened. And then I went to the congregation and told them what had happened and that their pastor was stepping down, the man that they'd loved, and their pastor for over 20 years. Everybody was heartbroken, heartbroken. It was devastating. He confessed his sin. We, we laid out a process of a couple of years. No ministry, counseling, deep counseling, deep accountability. Let's get your family right. Let's get your soul right. Let's figure out what, what happened. Why did that happen? What was it that triggered that? Now, um, some people short-circuit that process. Uh, they continue to dance out of woundedness. I've seen people who go, okay, after a couple of months, well, I'm healed, I'm fine, everything's okay. But there's still a woundedness. And when somebody is wounded, they wound everybody around them. It's not a pure dance. Um, my friend decided to stick it out and dance. And uh, just a couple of months ago, I, along with a couple of other national leaders, met he and his family and a group of friends about maybe 50, 80 people, we laid hands on him and reordained him to full-time ministry service. We're planning him as a church. His family's restored. They're in a much better place than, than they, they, they had ever been because he chose to not minister out of woundedness, but to minister out of brokenness. Woundedness wounds people. Brokenness leads people to Jesus. God doesn't get glory by permanently putting you on the shelf. 
God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. Jesus loved to ruin a good funeral. How many of you know that? You read the Bible. He loved to take somewhere and say, that'll never happen. They're dead. It's done. They'll never be anything again. And he loves to go, oh, watch this. Watch this. And there's some of you here today that there's sin in your life that you're hiding and you're afraid. If you get it out, give God a chance. You can dance again. You can dance. Don't let the fear of discovery keep you permanently out of the dance. And so, and so applause, worship, and sin. Let me just say as I close, some of you are just starting this dance. You, you are. That's what I love about Seacoast. We baptized, I don't know, a couple hundred people in the ocean a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. People are baptized every, every month here. And uh, God's done great things in your life. And there's this sense of innocence and awe about you. I want you to protect it. As your pastor, I want to challenge you. Look at these things and ask God, how can I protect this innocence and awe? There's some of us that don't dance much anymore. We've been seduced by the applause or we've been discouraged by things going on in our lives. We've been sidetracked by our own sin. And I want to challenge you, get back in the dance. We need you. This church needs you. God's kingdom needs you. You don't have to be there forever. Let's learn to confess our sins. Let's go to a cross today. Let's get back to where God wants us to be, living the abundant life. Some of you have been dancing a long time. And you wonder if there's anything left. Is the best season behind you? I got a word for you. God saved the best dance to last. He really has. When you get the chance to sit it out or dance, the song says, I hope you'll dance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for how you work in our lives. God, I pray that in the next few moments that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. God, we ask that you would work in our hearts that there would be a sense of honesty and a sense of anticipation of what you're gonna do. God, I pray that you would draw us to you. In your name we pray, amen.